To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Dave, what's happening, guys? Uh, new episode of Eastman's Elevated here. So um, today on the podcast, I have back on my buddy Lane Walters. So I met Lane. He filmed my Wyoming mule deer high country hunt last season, and, and then we just kept in contact since then. But he's just a, a great photographer, great videographer, and, and he's also a really good hunter that's going on a bunch of cool adventure hunts every year. And so really fun to have him on the podcast. He was actually my my first guest on the podcast on episode three. Uh, where I was just kind of learning what I was doing. I mean, I'm still always learning, but uh, you know, I, w- I was just trying to figure everything out. And so uh, he he was my first guest on the podcast. So nice to have him back on and and uh, have a good conversation with him. So you guys will enjoy today's episode. Uh, today's episode is brought to you by Sitka Gear. I'm just so impressed with what Sitka's doing. They just keep evolving their design and evolving their fabrics uh, of their gear, and their camo pattern is just off the hook. That new subalpine seems to blend in absolutely everywhere. Um, but I'm just so impressed with their system, and I pretty much switched to exclusively using Sitka gear. Um, you know, I, I used to mix and match some some mountaineering gear and some different brands, but um, Sitka's just doing such a great job, and, and so impressed. Every time a new piece of gear comes out i swear they've designed it for me you know the they've got really good hot weather hunting gear now they've evolved those to to be what they are and and then their cold weather gear and just all the way through they're just building great systems i'm just so impressed with their gear so make sure to give them some love and thanks to those guys for sponsoring the podcast um over there at eastman's uh, we've got a bunch going on over there. We're just uh, working hard coming into fall. We're all getting ready for our fall hunts and pitching ideas for the next year for articles. And, and uh, it, it's just a really cool time to be a part of Eastman's. I'm just so proud to, to be able to write for them and then be able to mix and match some filming. And then, and then of course, this podcast, which they stand behind and give me total support in, which is really neat. And and so it, it's just a great company, and, and we're putting out a great magazine, and I know – uh, you know, lately I've really been pushing the magazines in there is, is right now when we when we push our subscriptions for the magazine. And so uh, if you guys aren't a, a subscriber, you know, check it out. We're just we're pouring our heart and soul. All us staff writers are working really hard to give you guys as much Western information as we can to be successful. And I, I know I don't hold any secrets back or, or anything that I learn in the woods. You know, I constantly have a journal and I'm writing things down. But anything that I think will help you guys, you know, I... I pitch as an article idea and then and then get an article in there and they give me the freedom to to run all these different ideas in the magazines and and uh, so I'm just proud to be a part of it. Uh, you guys are interested in a subscription? Uh, type in the code Elevated six one seven on the Eastman's Hunting Journal website and uh, you can get both magazines for a year for twenty bucks. And uh, twenty bucks is a deal, especially with all the the members research supplement section, the MRS. 
um, where where the Eastmans compile data about you know different states and different hunts and different units and and it's a really good tool for us Western hunters looking to hunt out of state. And I know I use it a bunch for myself for finding different quality units and where the deer populations are and quality tags. And us bow guys can look at the rifle tags that are sought after and the times of year and they break it down to county. And there's just so much information to go through there as you're trying to figure out a different state and where you want to hunt. So it really is a deal for for 20 bucks for a year. And the only way you get that MRS is to be a subscriber to the magazine. Um, so so thanks for the support, guys. I really appreciate it. And and uh, let's get into this this podcast here. So Eastman's Elevated, me and Lane Walters. Here we go. Okay, I'm live here with Lane Walters. Uh, Lane's a buddy of mine. Um, he came with me last year and filmed my Wyoming hunt. And uh, he was actually the first guest on Eastman's Elevated podcast. So we've got him back on today to talk about some of the adventures he's done and, and some of the adventures he's going to do this year. He's got some great hunts coming up. So, Lane, thanks for being on, man. Hey, anytime, man. Anytime. I had a blast last time. Yeah, uh, well, I was just feeling everything out last time. I think that was my third episode, my first guest. So, um, yeah, thanks a bunch for being the guinea pig. And, yeah, I think we laid down a really good conversation. I think you were you were watching your kid as you were podcasting, so you, you, were, you were handling more than one, uh, one subject matter at a time for sure. Well, a little guy just went down for a nap right now. And if it's anything like normal, I got two hours. So <laughs> hopefully a wrench doesn't get thrown into this. <laughs> so. oh, good for you. Kids are doing good, growing big. Oh man, they get they get big so fast. It's awesome. Man, right before your eyes, right? I'm 13 oh. and 9 now, and it's just crazy that how fast time's flown. Well, it was almost a year ago that we were on your hunt, your mule deer hunt, and Camden was brand new, and now he's already turned a year old and he's walking, yeah. and yeah, time oh. flies, man. Oh, and I the second it. one usually really likes to get into things too. Is he pretty active? Uh, well, my oldest, I call him my terrorist. And so Camden, Camden's already starting to keep up. So okay, I got good. Two of them. Teaching him the ways, huh? Yeah. Oh yeah, he's showing them. Yeah. Well, right on, man. You got some awesome hunts coming up. Um. So you finished last season, like after we did the podcast, you had a, a late season Nevada mule deer tag, right? Yeah. Yeah. I flew out to Nevada in December and I hunted with Dave Baronio, really good buddy of mine. And I'm usually filming Dave, and it was cool. We kind of swapped roles. He filmed me. And we just had a great five-day hunt out there. Oh, wow. You get some good footage? Oh, he, yeah, we got some phenomenal footage. Saw some great bucks and ended up killing a nice buck. Not one of the bomber bucks we saw, but he was a great last-day buck. Oh, yeah. He looks super respectable. Just a, a great tall buck, deep fork buck. Um, yeah, good for you. Um, so you guys saw some giants on the hunt, huh? Oh, man. So the first day I flew in after we hit In-N-Out, which is a staple of mine whenever I'm anywhere with In-N-Out. <laughs> then, uh, <laughs> Good for you. I like it. Oh, yeah. I had to stop there. I didn't, Dave didn't even have to ask. He just pulled in. He knows me too well. <laughs> <laughs> so after we hit that, we went out. We just glassed for the first day. Didn't even really take the bow out. Saw one buck, and the next morning we hiked in, and around 12 o'clock we finally got to our glassing spot. We started before dark, and around 12 we were where we were glassing and just – had some awesome bucks, but just nowhere in a spot that we could really put a good stock on them. And with it being the first day hunting, we didn't really want to pressure them. I learned a little bit when I was with you about being patient. <laughs> <laughs> well, we tried so, anyways. Yep. Oh, well, we tried and I learned. So I, uh, 
we uh, we just basically watched them all day and hiked down. I thought about going back there in a couple of days since it was so far in. Went and found some other spots and got on this huge buck with a really cool crown coming off one side and then a drop tine on the other side. He was just this cool, freak-looking buck, and he was in a perfect spot to bed. We got within 100 yards, and when we were 100 yards away, this little 3 by 3 just came trotting by us at 20 yards. Had no idea we were there, but then he just kept going and finally caught our wind and ran straight to that buck and got him up. And the closest I got was 100 yards. So that was that was a bummer because everything was going perfect. And then, you know, it happens. That's hunting. You know, there's no if we had a rifle and if that was a rifle tag, I probably would have picked up a rifle on that buck. I'm not a huge rifle guy, but that buck, it would have been really, really cool to see him. Oh, sounds so. like a stud. Well, and those non-typical ones with a crown point and then a drop tine on the other side, it, those are pretty rare bucks to come by. Um, oh, it was he was really cool looking. I'll send you some pictures of him. It was it was odd. I think I posted one on my Instagram page, but he was a freak. It was oh, awesome. Man, and just when you think you got it figured out, every all the conditions are in your favor, and you're finally going to go all in and make your play. It, it's just like something has to go wrong, and those smaller bucks – Man, those things are buggers for picking you off or ruining your setup, aren't they? Oh man, and he had a couple doses. So I was like, okay, I gotta keep gotta keep my eye out for that. But I had not seen this guy at all, and he came from a complete opposite direction. But hmm. that's how hunting goes, man. It, but this buck was awesome. Dave Phil uh, guides up at R and K, and they kill some really awesome bucks. And he was getting excited about this buck. So I was like, okay, this isn't. It's not just me. With not a ton of mule deer knowledge, this is a good buck if Dave's getting excited for it. So, oh, man. but it was cool. It was cool just to see him. It yeah. was definitely one of the coolest bucks I've seen out in the wild. So they were still rutting then in this in these December dates then. He, yeah, they were rutting a little bit. It was a little post rut, but it wasn't. They weren't hitting it hard, but they were still hanging out with the does and coming off. And the weather was kind of warm up there, so that hadn't pushed them off from that high elevation yet. So most of the bucks were still way up high when normally at that time of the year they're way down in the low flats of the valley. Okay. Because we were just outside of Reno. Okay, gotcha. Um, and then and then the last day you were able to find that buck you harvested, lay down a good stock, good shot. Yeah. So funny story on that. Um, the very first day when we were glassing, then we drove by this place that had a ton of deer on it, and Dave looked at me. He goes, "Don't even look over there. That's whoever's property. He doesn't let anybody hunt." Okay. Cool. Well, we met up with my buddy Aaron Lanka, who I met doing Train to Hunt. He lives up there, and he's like, hey, I got this property. It's a last-day property only because it's too easy. I don't want to spoil you. Just if it's the last day you haven't killed anything, we'll go in there morning. You'll shoot one. All right. Well, it just happened to be that property that Dave and I were looking at. He knew the guy because Aaron sells John Deere equipment, and he just sold the guy a front loader. And the guy's like, oh, yeah, he can come hunt. I don't care if he's a friend of yours. Yeah, sure. So they took us <laughs> out there, and – the only day we didn't see anything on that property was that morning. <laughs> <laughs> but then we glassed up a buck on the other side over on the public land. We're like, all right, we can put a stock on him. Got within 20 yards. It was just so thick. We couldn't get a shot, and I was maneuvering around. I knew he was there. I just couldn't see him, and he was right in front of me at 20 yards, got up and bolted. So then we went back to the property to you know, basically say goodbye, and there was a buck standing there at 40 yards. <laughs> So there really wasn't much of a stock on it. We got it all on film. I'm going to show it on film that we were basically outside of this guy's pasture, and this buck was just sitting there bedded, and he actually got up and started walking, and I made a really great shot at 20 yards. So he walked right past where I was 
setting up waiting for him to come by so it was a good time it wasn't the high country buck i was after it definitely wasn't the hard hunt i was after but it was great to get some meat down because dave's kids that's all they eat is meat is just wild game so it was awesome to get him his freezer full and i had a cool little buck so well it was a fun hunt when you're on those hunts, you got to take the easy ones with the tough ones, and especially the last day, and you catch a buck 40 yards off. Like you got to make a play, you got to try for him. Oh yeah, that's I I didn't feel bad about doing it at all. I mean, we put the time in. We were hiking miles and miles and miles every single day, and it was funny to shoot a buck that we could drive the truck up to. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, uh, how cool! Yeah, what a cool late season experience down there in Nevada. It sounds like that was a pretty good tag you drew. Man, I'm going to put in for that tag again. It was a blast. And Dave kept apologizing. He's like, man, it's normally not like this. It's normally not like this. And he actually just drew the tag right next to my unit that I was in this year. So I'm going to be flying out there again in December and filming him for a week. And hopefully we have a little bit better weather and they get pushed down and we get some really big bucks. Oh, good. He's got a late season tag this year then. Yeah. Man, I tell you what, those December hunts are cool because there's nothing else going on. So Boy, don't, have to I know about, it. don't have to worry about planning. There's no, there's no, it's not the shot show ATA, you know, trade show season hasn't started up yet and it's not Christmas yet. And it, it's just a perfect time to do it. I'm going to be applying for that tag all the time. Yeah, for sure. Well, and, um, the Idaho, they have some late season hunts that go on in December that you can do with your bow, some over the counter stuff. And even if you tag out early, you can buy a second buck tag. And, you know, I, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to learn Idaho and immerse myself in it this season and trying to figure out early and late spots. But that's going to be a good option for me. Cause like you say, there's nothing going on in December and that's a, a no better way to fill it than a post rut muley hunt. Oh, dude, yeah. I got to hook you up with my buddy Brian Reed. I met him when I was filming down in the Florida mountain range on that Ibex hunt, and he hunts up there a lot and has killed some bomber muleys up there. And he's told me to come up there with him last year, but I just – you know how it is with kids and they're little. You just can't make them make enough time to hunt sometimes. But one of these years, I'm going to make it up there and hunt with them and – Try and get in some of those Idaho muleys. Yeah, well, a guy can only do so much, and you got to pick and choose. And tough when you got a great Nevada tag to pull off and go hunt Idaho. But um, that Ibex hunt, that's something I wanted to talk to you about. I've wanted to do that hunt forever. And and I've just started applying like the last few years trying to draw that hunt. But but that sounds like a tough, rugged hunt. So you went down there and filmed an Ibex hunt in the Floridian Mountain Range, right? Yeah, twice. It took him two times. So uh, Trevin Stolzfus, who actually taught me how to run a camera and who I've been filming for for Outback Outdoors for a long time, drew that tag. And we took every every single cameraman we had down there for that first hunt, and it chewed us up and spit us out. It man, was, man it, it was I, for, hunt. I forgot. Like We talked about it on, on my hunt, or we talked about it before. I didn't realize or I had forgotten that you, you went down two trips, and so it's a 15-day season. So you dang near had 30 days in by the time he killed his buck. Close that. Or yeah, but the, the second hunt, the one where he actually killed, I actually left to go to SHOT Show, and then he shot it a couple days later after I had left on the last day, the last night of hunting of the season. He wow. ended up getting one. Oh, and they're not a buck. They're a uh, – uh, what are they, a ram? They're a ram. Yeah, that's what I thought. Billy? Billy? Oh, yeah, they're, they're Billy. Because the, uh, they're mountain goats. Yeah, you're right. They're goat species. Ish. Okay. They're goat-ish. They're freaks <laughs> is what they are. Those things can well, climb straight up a cliff hill. Well, and they're a goat with a 50-inch horn, which is wild. But, yeah, I've heard they can walk up the spackle on your drywall on a 90-degree slope. Like, I've heard those oh. things just cling to the mountain. They got these domes out there that are just straight up and down. 
and with a plateau on top. And those things will just be up and down the side of that dome. When you stand up there looking at it, you have no idea how they're climbing it because it is straight up and down. Man, and so you guys got a bunch of stocks and opportunities and plays on those things, and they just wouldn't be there when you got there, or, or things would change, or did you ever get in a country that was too steep where they just weren't approachable? Uh, the, the finding them is not the problem. You'll see them every day as long as you know what to look for. And luckily, we had Derek Harris. Um, he runs South Peak Guide Service, and by far the best guide to have down there. He's a friend, family friend of Trevin's, and just happens to be the guy that always guides the guys with the governor tag whenever they have that that hunt so we had by far the best guide on the mountain and so he helped us stay out of it a little bit on getting into the bad stocks but we still got into some hairy stocks where it's like we're just cliffed out we can't make it we know they're right there and you just cannot get to it and then you gotta try and get back up where you were coming down and yeah it's fun well and and like you look at stuff and you look at how steep it is and you guys are all athletic and really good on the steep stuff. And I know we got in steep stuff in, in Wyoming when we hunted it. Nothing too bad that was really too sketchy, but definitely challenging. Um, but it's hard to evaluate like how steep it's going to be and how gnarly it's going to be until you get on it. Like You can glass it from afar, and you kind of look at it and go, yeah, I think I can make that. I think I can track across that, or I think I can come down that. But then you get there, and it's a totally different scenario. Oh, that's that's exactly what it is. And you you see a shoot, you're like, oh yeah, we can make it up that shoot, and then we can hop over to this shoot, but you can't make the hop over because there's a big old valley in the way. Or yeah, that's it's gnarly country just like that. Oh, constantly, man. constantly getting cliffed out, and everything wants to poke you, bite you, grab you. There's four different types of rattlesnakes on that mountain. It is just yeah, it's fun. My buddy. Um, Sean Greathouse from Hamsky Archery drew it and he for October and he wanted me to go down there this year. And luckily for me, my wife is out of town, so I can't go do it. But I do not want to go down there in October with four different types of rattlesnakes. I'm out. We were seeing rattlesnakes in January, let alone in October when it's hot still. Oh man, I just had this um, this guy on the podcast and and he hunted it in that early hunt, the October hunt, like you're talking about. Ugh. And he said it was the rattlesnakes that kept people off the mountain. There were so many of those things creepy crawling around everywhere. Well, they got the Mojave greens, um, a rock rattler, prairie rattlers, and diamondbacks all on that stupid mountain. I hate snakes. There, if there's one thing that I hate, it is snakes and rattlesnakes. For sure, yeah, yeah. It'd be I'd be wearing gaiters that go up to my thighs in hundred degree weather if I was filming down there in October. Oh man, right? Exactly. Yeah, oh, I would do gaiters that go up to my crotch. Make sure I don't yep. get hit by one of those things. Um, yep. Huh? What a gnarly hunt! And so you guys would go on stocks. Did he get any other misses on those things? Because sometimes those shots can be fairly long and and difficult shots, high degree of difficulty. Uh, so Trevin actually didn't get any other shots. There was one where he was drawn back. It was straight down. I want to say it was an 80-yard shot, and his rangefinder was telling him 20 yards. Oh, so that's wow. how steep this thing was. And he was on it, and Jade was up front on the camera, and he never told him he was on it. And so there was some miscommunication between cameraman. You know how it is, cameraman, and I was the secondary guy, so I was further back, so I couldn't talk. But we had him on the camera. Trevin was on him, and he just never got the green light, was never told to shoot. And so he never got that shot off before they boogered out, which was a huge bummer. because that was like the third day of the first hunt. And then after that, I don't think Trevin got a shot until that last one that he shot. Oh, um, man. Brian shot, 
Brian shot at one, and his first shot that he shot at him, it was like 100 yards, and his limb clipped a bush, and so he just hit just a little low. And then he had a second one where it was just such a steep angle, he missed two. So it is, it's a brutal hunt. They say it's a 1% success rate. Oh, man. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a big investment, too. They get you good on that tag, but I just want to go experience it. Even if I don't harvest one, like just to, to see those things through your glass and climbing up on those rocks and then trying to make plays on them, I, it just, um, it, it seems so thrilling. I just want to go try it, you know, and just like any new species in any new place you go is like just this new adventure that you embark on. Uh, I, I just want to try it. So New Mexico has got to give me a tag one of these years. Dude, they have to. I tell you, it's right. It's the kind of hunt that's right up your alley. Like when other guys are quitting, then it'd be one where you're just going on and keeping your head down. And you, I think you'd get it done if you went out and got it. It'd be a fun. It'd be a blast. Oh, man, it would be In fact, fun. Derek had a guy one time that he uh, – the guy didn't want a guide. He just wanted somebody to pack his stuff in because there's no water on that mountain. And he packed them all in, five days of water, food, camp, and everything. And the next day, the guy called him and said, it's all up there. You can have everything that I left up there, which is everything that you packed in. I'm never coming back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so, brutal. He's like the guy didn't even last one day. Oh, that's man. how that's how gnarly that mountain is. Huh? And so you guys were able to get away from the pressure on there too, because um, I know there's a lot of hunters that hunt it, and so you kind of got to deal with the pressure a little bit, I would think. Uh, you got to deal with it a little bit, but honestly, by the uh, by the third or fourth day, a lot of guys have dropped off. Wow, that's just incredible. That just sounds like so much fun to me. So much suffering. <laughs> oh yeah, and a lot of guys are literally just driving around, glassing from the truck, and not even getting out and making stocks because. But when they find one, then they're not in a real glassable or a real stockable spot. Or if they do start to stock, they're gone halfway. By the time they get up that mountain, the real way to hunt them is you got to be on that mountain and you got to be in spots where they can come through and then be glassing from there for a secondary stock or something. Oh, be in striking distance more so than be hours away from where you need to be. Exactly. To plan because those things, those things have no rhyme or reason, man. They, they'll stay in the same spot all day or they'll move after being bedded down for 10 minutes. Yeah, it's probably they do the opposite of what you want them to do. Like if you wanted them to stay there all day, you know, they wouldn't. But if if you sit back and go, no, I'm not going to stalk. I'm going to be patient, get up there tomorrow. Then he lays in the perfect spot all day long. It just seems like that's the way critters are, like a like a sixth sense or something. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like the caribou I shot. I watched that dang thing for two or three hours thinking he was going to move. And I was like, well, he must be staying there all day. And as soon as I got within 200 yards, he got up and started feeding. <laughs> oh, man. And so – um, you did an epic caribou hunt last year that was really fun to hear about. And oh, just one more thing on that ibex. And so you guys filmed all that. He actually put out a film that you can watch. I haven't watched it, but I really need to sit down and get it. Isn't it like a you got to pay five dollars for it or something like that, and then you can watch the whole film, something like that? Yeah, it's some it's something on Vimeo, and you can watch it. It's an hour long, if I remember right, and it's called The Rock and Ibex Adventure. He uh, it had played on the Sportsman's Channel, and after that, I think yeah, it's up on Vimeo now. And you can watch it, and it is a, it's an awesome film. That's the first hunt. He hasn't even finished editing the second hunt yet, and it's been over a year now. There's just so much footage that you get off from that with having all the guys there filming and stuff. So, I'm I'm really excited to see what happens and comes out of the second one. Oh yeah, how awesome! And and so uh, and then your caribou hunt, you laid down an awesome film for that, and I watched the film for it. Where can guys find the film for the caribou hunt? 
So I got one that's not released yet because it's in a I got it entered in a couple different film festivals and waiting to hear back on that. And then I'm going to be putting it in uh, the Badlands Film Festival ATA show, and after that I'm going to release it. But I released a secondary type film, which is all completely different footage from the first one, and it's my buddy who I was hunting with most of the time, Mike, and his little adventure as far as hunting, and that's called uh, Beyond Boundaries. It's on my YouTube channel. Just Google Lane Walter. There's or just a YouTube Lane Walter, and there's a there's a link on my website, which is lanewalter.com, or you can find it on YouTube. Mm-hmm. I'm not uh, sure if I sent you that one or not. I, yeah, I'm not sure which one I, I watched, but the one I watched was so good. You're so good at uh, not only videography, but your editing skills and putting all those together and, and telling the story. I was so impressed by the one you sent me. And so you guys had an epic adventure last year. You flew into Alaska. It was you and a couple buddies. Is that right? Or was there three buddies? Yeah. No, it was me, my father-in-law, and then his other son-in-law, and then two more buddies, Darren and Mike, all went up with us. Yeah, and so, you, you guys did your research. It was a do-it-yourself hunt. You guys put yourself in the right spot. You were right in the caribou migration. Oh, man, we were – yeah. I mean, the, the first 24 hours we could hunt, Randy, Darren, and Greg all tagged out. Wow, all and with bows too, right? All with all archery. It was you know, we had a rifle, but we never even picked it up to consider anything with it. And then two days later, like we hunted hard. It kind of turned off after that for two or three days. And then on the fifth day, Mike and I, or I tagged out. And then the sixth day, we were caping out mine, and a caribou ran by, and Mike shot it at forty yards. So yeah, we all tagged out way early, way earlier than we were supposed to. So. <laughs> It was an awesome hunt. Oh, man, I'd say. And just some giant caribou racks, too. Uh, a lot of them were in velvet. Is that right? Yeah, they were They were all in velvet all still in because velvet. we okay. went up the, the middle of August is when we were up there. And so they were all, all in velvet. We saw some that were rubbing, and that was really cool to see some that just – they looked like giants because they had all this velvet hanging off that was rubbed. So oh. you couldn't really tell what they were because of everything just hanging everywhere and looking like freaks. But it was a really cool time to be up there. Yeah. Seeing them in the velvet, and they just look so much bigger when they're in velvet. Yeah, 40% heavier. Yeah, I can't wait. So I'm going to go up and hunt them this season. Um, what tips do you have for me for stalking them? Um, you you never chase them, right? You're always trying to move in front of where they're headed. Or were they migrating hard where you guys were at or hanging out? Yeah, or? they were migrating, but they were hanging out too. It was kind of a weird – we were in there in a weird time. They were just starting to migrate, so half of them were, would hang out and half of them were migrating through. Like I said, for that two days – we only saw a couple caribou because they were it's like the migration turned off for two days or we were in the wrong spot for two days and then they came back so but and stocking them was weird too we uh we were able to kind of coyote them the way that you've talked about coyoting the elk herds me and you have talked about that on and that bull that i shot i actually coyoted them feeding for about three hours before I ended up getting a shot off on them. And I was within that 100 yards. They'd go over a hill, and I would just run up to the next knob because of some, like, whoopty country where there's highs and lows, highs and lows, and they get on the backside of a low, and I would just run up and get to the next one and ended up getting within 50 yards before I shot them. So, and then there was other ones where if they saw you, they would just booger out completely. So it was weird. Man. They're, 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 they're a weird, weird little animal. And if you talk to one of the bush pilots, I have actually have it in the one film, uh, 324, where the three guys tag out in the first 24 hours. They're talking to the bush pilot, and they're like, so what do these animals do? And he's like, man, you can't – he's like, you could pay me as much as you wanted. I can tell you everything about a caribou right now. 
There's no rhyme or reason to them. And that's about that about sums them up. There's no rhyme or reason to a caribou. Oh, how wild, man. What an awesome stock. Three hours uh, of chasing one and getting to play the game and kind of coyote him and making your move after he goes over the top. And and you're in really good shape, too, able to keep up with him and keep moving on him. That had to be such an awesome stock. Oh, it was awesome up until the point when I shot him and he went down and I realized how far away I'd gotten from camp. <laughs> well, that's right. You guys had a rule that you weren't going to shoot him so far away from camp, and, and you broke well, that I rule. Didn't, I didn't make the rule. All the guys that tagged out the first day made that rule because they all <laughs> shot one within half a mile of the airstrip. <laughs> <laughs> so so then, they, they made this imaginary rule that they called the boundary, and so that's why Mike's film is called Beyond Boundaries because we were both way beyond the boundary <laughs> of where they established for us to shoot. We were about double the boundary of where we were supposed to be shooting these things, but you got to go where they are to shoot them. Oh, man, like that's the excitement of bow hunting to me, those long, drawn-out stalks and plays on animals. You're just so excited the whole time, sweat just running down your face as you're trying to catch up to them, and you're, you're, you're trying to make the right moves to put yourself you know, in shooting range of them, in your effective range, and then to have it all come together. I bet you just sit back and think about that three-hour stalk. Like, I, I know some of those animals I've chased. It just means so much to me when it lasts for that long, like you're engaged in it that long exactly man i'm actually happy i didn't tag out that first 24 hours because i got an extra four days of hunting in and in that four days mike and i had some really cool stocks we had one where it was raining it was 40 degrees i took off my rain gear because i thought i was going to get a shot and then two hours later mike finally got a shot off at him so i'm standing there freezing not moving because i'm out in the wide open and the basically tundra there with these caribou at 100 yards just getting pounded with rain with no rain jacket on, shaking because it's 40 degrees. And that's what you look back on. You're like, that was awesome. Oh, and, and, man. and when you're in that moment, all you think about is this is going to be really cool when it's over. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's um, yeah, that's like that that fun that lasts, you know, and I, I've heard it said a couple different ways, but. Yeah, I don't know why being miserable is so much fun for us hunters, but we just love to suffer. And so, um, like, like I don't know those those long, like, like being miserable on a hunt for ten days. When you're in those ten days and in it, it's not so much fun. But when you get home, that's all you can think about, and all you can think about for the next year is going back up in the mountains and and testing yourself. Um, I, and it's. It's like this this long-term fun where the short-term fun is ro riding a roller coaster, and you go up and over, and yeah, that's fun, and it's over with in, in five minutes, and you don't really think back on it at all. But those tough hunts, for some reason, you're just always thinking back on them and thinking how much fun it was the entire experience. Oh, and you're so right. You're so right. And just seeing what you can push yourself for for the next level. And on this moose hunt that we're doing this year, all I'm worried about now is that if I can hang with Lance, um, the other guy going with me is just a complete awesome dude and hardcore dude. And we'll see if I can hang with him. So <laughs> there's no doubt in my mind you can. But yeah, Lance sounds like an animal. Oh, dude, he's he's I what he does for work is I just Yeah. He, if, if it's been hard and he's basically done there, been there, done that and seen it. So it's, it's going to be a fun hunt to go with. Yeah, that's a good partner to have. And so, um, this year you guys are embarking on a, a moose hunt and you're going to do a float trip down, uh, a river system up there in Alaska. Yeah, it's going to be the, uh, we're going with the same bush pilots that dropped us off. They, uh, they have a rule where if you've been with them before, you can book 15 days earlier than anybody else. 
So we were able to get on a moose hunt. The caribou hunt is kind of their feeler. If they like you, they don't blacklist you and you're allowed to come back. And so we were able to book this moose hunt and it's still, we have barely got this one booked. So we're, uh, we're going to go back and flow down about, I think it's 98 miles of river, get dropped off and, uh, float down the 98 miles to where we parked the van. So it's going to be fun. Oh man, that's a good way to do it where you're coming out at your vehicle. Oh yeah. It's saving us. This hunt is actually cheaper than the caribou hunt because we don't have that. We don't have to pay for them to fly the moose out and we don't have to pay for them to come pick us up. Man, so it's awesome. actually it's actually cheaper to go hunt moose than it was to go hunt caribou. Oh, good for you the way guys! We're doing it. Yeah, you got a good setup, and you guys saw moose last year when you were out there. Are you floating around the same area, or is this a totally different area? Uh, it's in the same vicinity, but we're not going to be close to where we were. If that makes sense, yep, it's going it to be about like we're getting dropped off ten miles from where we were hunting. And so, uh, yeah, where we were at last year, we saw a huge moose that got the people back at the airport excited. And when they were looking at all these guys are moose hunting every single year in their free time, they're like, holy cow, I'd shoot that moose. So, we, yeah, we did see a bomber moose back in there. I'd shoot one half that size, honestly, <laughs> if I saw it up there on this trip. Man, and you, you guys don't have any minimum where you're at? You guys don't have no, a 50-inch? There's no, there's a, there's a 50-inch minimum or the three brown tine. Three or four? Three, three or four. I got to gotta double check. I think it's four. So we we do have that minimum. So if it's legal, I'm shooting it. That's basically my uh, my decision up there. If it's got the four, if it's 50, it's going down. Yeah, absolutely. I'm that, not holding out at all. That was like me last year. Yeah. I mean, you want a big one so bad, but if, they, if they're past 50 inches, they're a big one to me. Like, that's it, a big well, move. Yeah. So, well, any um, is a big moose. I mean, their bodies are so huge. I've only been on one hunt where I helped my granddad, and he ended up shooting a yearling, and that thing was a, over a thousand pounds. A four wheeler wouldn't drag it. Oh man, so. <laughs> they are gigantic. Well, yeah, and so I tried to learn how to judge them, kind of how I judge mule deer. And so you take their tip to tip ear spread is supposed to be about thirty inches. So when they're looking right at you, tip to tip is thirty inches wide, and then their ear length measurement is twelve inches. And so basically, if they're farther than an ear wide. Um, out one side, then then that would put them over 50, like a 54 or whatever. And and so you just can never be wrong. You've got to be sure. And so, you know, you've got to hold yourself to about 55 or above instead of 50 or above because we did see some that we thought were 48 to 52 that you just can't shoot because they're too close to uh, the line. Yeah, you can't. Oh, I can't imagine making that mistake and then turning it in and being an inch short. That would just be devastating. Oh, it'd be the worst. Yeah, guy can't make that mistake. And so basically, you want to see the four brow tines. You see the four brow tines, and you're good to go. That's, you know, that's, that's what I'm hoping we see. Yep. is the four brow tines. And Lance is taking his stick bow. He's gonna be shooting his little white buffalo up there. So the goal is to get him to shoot one on camera with that thing. And then if it's further out, not coming in, I'll shoot it with my compound with my carbon. And if not, then we'll just have a – he'll probably pick up a rifle and blast one just so we can get something down. So yeah. we'll see. But, yeah, that four brow times would just be the uh, – that just make me feel so much better about taking a shot. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and when they go super wide, like I say, use 30 inches, and then if he's one ear outside, and you get a pretty good feel for him after you see a few of them. And when you see one that's 55, 60-plus, there's no doubt in your mind, you know, because you got to be fairly close to see those brow times. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna start looking at pictures and studying them. I'm actually going to film a hunt in Hawaii here in a couple of weeks for some axis deer, and I think the whole plane ride there and back, I'm gonna be looking at pictures of moose, just ingraining that in my mind of what I need to be looking for and sizing them up. Oh, good for you, going filming in Hawaii. What island are you going to? 
Uh, Lanai. It's gonna oh, be uh, Lanai is so cool. Isn't that where you just at? Um, well, I was just in Maui, but I've heard. You were a, in Maui. Yeah, I've heard a lot about Lanai. I've, I've never actually been there. I've just uh, heard a lot and seen a lot of pictures. But I've heard Lanai is a really cool island. I've never been there either. I've only been to Maui, so I'm excited to get out there. And we're only going to be hunting for a few days, so hopefully he can get her knocked down and then we can go do some fishing or something. Yeah, well, it, it seems like um, there's a lot of opportunity there in Hawaii, so you guys will definitely have some some chances in a few days of hunting. Uh, who are you going with? Uh, Willie Schmidt from Pure Hunting, and then he's taken with a guy uh, from True Shot Archery Coach, Randy Peck. And I filmed both of them down in Texas on a hog hunt in April this year. And so uh, they're both getting back together, going out there. They, the plan wasn't originally to film it, just for them to go out and have fun. And then Willie and I were competing together at a uh, alpha bow hunting tournament. And he was like, hey, dude, I want to take a cameraman. You want to come with? All right, sweet. Yeah, I'll do it. My wife wasn't happy. but <laughs> <laughs> It's tough to go to Hawaii without your wife, isn't it? Well, I've already burnt up a lot of hall passes between this Alaska hunt, filming Willie this spring. I got some other – my mom drew a really good deer tag, so I'm going to be gone for that this year. And the only saving grace I have is my wife drew a mountain goat tag, and I've promised her two weeks of hunting together after all this is said and done. So that's my saving grace for this year. Oh, man, you got a busy schedule but a good schedule. Oh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a really good year. I'm hoping to take my youngest boy, Easton, out. He'll be three. He turns three next week. I'm hoping to take him out on an elk hunt when I get back from Alaska just for a couple of days to hang out and just get him close to one would be awesome. Right. Uh, just show him the experience. Let him look at some and hear him bugle. And, yeah, you just got to kind of cater the hunt to them, bring some fruit snacks and, you know, whatever you bring to keep them occupied. But, um, yeah, good for you, man. That's awesome. And so your wife has a goat hunt this year um, in the same unit where you filmed that, that epic goat film you did of your mom taking one. It's in the exact same unit. Yeah, so I'm excited. It's just two weeks later. So I'm gonna I'm kinda gambling with the weather with it, whether it's gonna be completely blizzarded out or not, but I'm hoping it doesn't. I hope the weather holds out and we can get on some and my mom had a nanny tag and my wife drew an either sex tag, so it's gonna be uh we're gonna be a little bit more picky on this hunt, I think. Yeah, looking for a Billy. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a blast. I'm excited. I actually took your advice. I remember how we were talking about getting one of those electric bikes for for doing some hunts and stuff instead of just a regular bike yes so i got hooked up with uh jake roach from quiet cat and he's the vp there are i think he's the ceo he's gonna let me he's gonna hook me up with a couple bikes to use on that hunt so it's gonna be fun try and get back in further in on those on those electric assist bikes instead of just a regular bike so oh man like aren't those things cool the advantage they give you and i haven't really talked about them on the podcast too much but for for western runners that's a good little secret we can just edit this part out (laughs) (laughs) well no it just hasn't come up but they are like such a huge advantage like that's going to be the next thing in western hunting like they just um you can travel so many more miles with such little effort that you have all your energy when you get there and it still takes energy to get them up but they just cruise up those hills and elevation and, and 20 miles now on a bike is nothing Oh, yeah. It, they are so awesome. They have one it's not legal to use on a non-motorized trail, but one pedal is the equivalent of 30 pedals on a regular bike. I oh, mean, my gosh. That's, that's basically you're riding a little motorcycle that you just pedal every once in a while. Yeah, well, and, and a lot of these electric bikes are classified under the same rules as a normal bike. You know, not in every state, but the federal law states that if it's under 750 
I think it's watts. It, it's the yep. 750 watts, and it's classified as a normal bicycle. But what a huge advantage. I used one this bear season, and, man, I was able to cruise on these closed roads that were closed down to motorized vehicles and just cover a ton of country, oh, more than I've yeah, ever this, covered in a bear season. Those closed roads are perfect for it. And uh, in Colorado, we don't have a ton of the closed roads, but we got a lot of the bike trails that you can ride a bike on, but you can't ride a motorcycle on. So I'm really I'm going to get – Get one of the medium-sized ones from Quiet Cat and use that on those trails where you can just get back and cruise. Oh, man. Yeah, those things are a huge advantage. And, you know, they cost some coin to, to get hooked up with them. And I've got a couple that I'm trying out now that I'm super psyched with. So I, I got a couple so I can have one for, for a partner, for a buddy, because it's just it's cheating if he just has a regular bike. Oh, I, I can't imagine trying to keep up with somebody with that's on one and, and somebody that's not on one. It just there's no way. Oh, it's not fair. Them. Oh, it was. I went with uh, Brandon Van Dyken, and um, I had, like, you got to be careful with these things that you get the right brands and that they don't break down on you. Like, you can't you can't set them on nine and try to ride up a steep hill, and that's exactly what I did when I first got mine, and I burned it out, and I had to replace it. The company was good about it. Now I've been using it in more moderation, set it on a two or a three, and using a lot of pedal assist. So I had to take my, my normal bike when I went with Brandon into this bear spot that I had, and I about killed myself trying to keep up with them on that bike like you say it wasn't even fair it, it that's uh, okay that, you can you should have uh you should have taken brandon's and made him ride the, the regular bike <laughs> he's got <laughs> enough he's got enough energy you can make him hike that thing <laughs> he does have a bunch of energy doesn't he he's a good oh, guy man. oh he's a great guy i've hung out with him at shot show and ata show the past two years he wasn't at shot show this last year but just super good dude man just a super good dude yeah he's but a good ton of too. ton of energy ton of energy well yeah and he hunts year round all the time too he's just one of those guys that's what he does and that cat that he got last year was just a monster too oh yeah the cat and then he always tags out early i've got a an episode recorded with him here that we're going to release um really fun podcast they did with him but yeah he's a super guy i really like him awesome yeah i can't wait to hear that because I, I i always enjoy the conversations with him yeah, um, he is a soundbite everywhere he goes. <laughs> like he's always got something to say about everything. But yeah, he is a great guy. Yep. But um, yeah, so those things are going to be a huge advantage. And so with goats, like um, goats are challenging. And you've hunted them before, and I've hunted them before. I drew a tag in 2013, and so they're tough to tell the difference between a Billy and a Nanny. Um, uh, just trying to identify them. Oh, yeah, and that's something I did a lot with my mom's hunt. The first hunt I filmed was my father-in-law's, and that was good. It was fun, but I didn't put a lot of time into studying what was a nanny, what was a billy, because it was my father-in-law's tag, and he kind of knows what he's doing a lot more than me. So, But on my mom's, I put a lot of time into looking at pictures and studying it, and Colorado makes you take a little test before you can even go out and hunt, and that wasn't even close to what it should have been. As in my opinion, they should have made it a little bit harder. So I put a lot more time into that test, and it was nice to have the confidence when she was drawn back because she was asking me a couple times, is that a nanny? Is that a nanny? Are you sure? I was like, yeah, no, I'm sure that's a nanny. So it was nice not to have to wait for it to turn and go to the bathroom or something. Yeah. But you definitely, it takes a lot of study time on those things. Doesn't it? A lot of study time, a lot of seeing them in the field, and then – 
like I always said, you can't tell from a certain distance what they are. You have to get close and you have to have a spotting scope, I think. You can tell with binos, but to me, like the magical distance was about a thousand yards, 800 yards with a spotting scope, and then I could identify them. But farther than that, they're all eight to 10 inch horns and a white coat. And unless they got nannies and kids and they're a group that you can kind of identify that way, they're tough to tell what they are. Yeah, unless you have just that bomber spotting scope on them that can get up close, it's it's really difficult until you get close enough. Yeah, and so um, le- like you, so when you're identifying, the nannies have um, skinnier horns and they're they go longer and they don't have the gland behind them, but they're like a skinny long horn is how I identified them. And the billies yep. are really thick at the bases and they kind of carry their mass up, and then they've got that black gland that sits behind that horn. So when you look at them, they've got a lot of black right there down low. Exactly. And then they just, the billies have a thicker, bulkier body structure to me. It's almost, you're looking at a bodybuilder versus somebody that doesn't lift. In my opinion, if you got like a nice billy, then they're usually a lot bulkier than what a nanny looks like. You're right. They're really stocky, they're, aren't they? They're blocked off. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're totally right. They are. They're, yeah, blocky look to them. Yep, and that's, that's actually point. something that I could pick off at a distance better than the horns at most point because I still don't have a great spotter. So I've, I rarely take a spotting scope on anything. So I'm looking through my Swaros all the time, and I just got 10 by 42s So I was actually looking at the body structure of a lot of these things over the horns to try and pick them off when they were far ways away. Oh, that's a good tip. Yeah, I the spotting scope is really nice, and I need it for mule deer, and I, I really like to have it on that goat hunt. But yeah, I'm the same way. I, I'm such a minimalist that I try to get away with with not taking it for like the elk hunts and, and you know some other hunts that I do just because I love to travel light. Uh, I, I am the exact same way. That's why I don't have one, and I've never been huge on waiting for that really big animal, but – Dave had one on that mule deer hunt. It was really nice to look through that and just see that big buck sitting there through the spotter scope. That made things nice, and I think I'm going to need one for this mule deer or for this mountain goat hunt that my wife has. It's just hard. I just redid all of my camera gear, so it'll be hard to find some more money for another one for some more. But I think I'll find it before this hunt happens. Oh my gosh! Or you, I'll be able to borrow one. You read. You redid all your camera gear, huh? The only thing I have that is the same is my. Uh, a little zoom for recording audio. Other than that, everything is new. Wow, good for you. So I switched over to Sony for all my filming and all my camera and stuff. So, yeah. You did? Are you nice liking little, it? Oh, I'm loving it, man. I just did a thing for a gym this weekend, and I was filming in slow motion with my camera, and it's just – it's awesome. I love everything about this new camera. So oh, I'm man. really, really happy I did it. I was nervous, super nervous about doing it and getting used to it. But now that I've been shooting with it, done some small things with it, it's – it's awesome. Oh, good for you. Yeah, I can't wait to see some of the stuff you put out with that new camera. Oh, I'm excited. Because aren't you running a Sony like the A600 or A6000 or something? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's what you had. And I remember playing with yours like, this is a sweet little setup. And I liked how small it was. So I ended up switching to the A7R Mach 2. And it doubled my megapixel count for pictures. And then for my film, it was still an upgrade from what I was filming before as far as the film. And I can shoot in 4K. It's just a, it's an awesome setup. The oh. one thing I wasn't accounting for is how many memory cards I'm going through. <laughs> with recording so much more information. Oh, I bet that 4K will burn through those things, won't it? Oh, yeah. I, I even stopped recording it unless I really needed it to be able to crop down to stuff in post. I, uh, I stopped recording. I'm just recording in the HD still because there's really no need to. Yeah, there isn't. Um, uh, so what's your megapixel count on that thing? 
Uh, it's 42 megapixels. Oh my gosh, those shots have to be so crisp. Oh, it's it's insane. I took this picture of Trevin. He was fishing, and he had this, his Yeti cooler in the background. And in post, I'm looking. I'm like, there's a black dot on that Yeti. And it was, I don't know, a 20th of the picture, just a really small part of it. So I zoom in on it. It was a bug. And I could zoom in, and I could tell what kind of bug it was from like 20 <laughs> yards away. It's ridiculous. This is better than my eyes. That so, is ridiculous. Yeah, it's awesome. It's, it's a really cool. I've kind of – it's changed the way I take pictures. I don't, if I have something and I, it's far away and I want to take a picture of it instead of switching out the glass and maybe missing the shot, I take the picture knowing that I can cut that picture down in post and it's still super crisp at that. As long as my focus is right, then it's still a super crisp picture when I zoom in and crop it out. It's cool. Oh, that is way cool, huh? Yeah, that's going to make for some epic footage. So you're taking that to Hawaii with you, I bet? Taking that to Hawaii and taking it to Alaska, and Lance just bought the Sony A9, which is brand new, and we're, he's going to be taking that. That's what we're shooting with in Alaska is my new one and his new one. He's the reason I made the switch. So. Oh, really? He does a bunch of filming and shooting? No, he, he doesn't. We've uh, He's just gotten into it, and so he uh, he's starting to. He's starting to, but we want to make this trip uh, a fun one and a good one, so he went and he dropped the money on the camera equipment, so we're going we're gonna to make it happen. Oh, man. Yeah, I can't wait to see what you guys put together for Alaska. 98 miles down a river system. Uh, it's just going to be an epic adventure. And so you guys got the the pristine uh, boats, right? Pristine yeah, river yeah, adventures. Yeah, we, we went with Larry Bartlett's boats. Yep. Um, I actually talked with him on the phone a few times. What a super good dude. Isn't he? He sent me his book after I paid the, the deposit. Or not some – I shouldn't say the deposit. I paid for the raft rental and – He's like, oh, dude, I'll send you the book too. And yeah, super great guy, super great book. I'm glad that you hooked me up with him and told me about that. And after you pointed him out to me, it seems like every single person that's doing these kind of hunts, that's the boats they're using. Absolutely. Yeah, they're so good. And so on our caribou hunt, we're going to use a boat this year too. We're going to use that same boat that we bought for our last trip and up and through there and row down a river system. Are you going to the same area that you were last time, or are you going to a completely new area? No, yeah, I'm going to a new area. So the float planes killed us last year, and so we're doing an yep. inexpensive trip. We're just doing – my buddy lives there in Fairbanks, and he works at the – he manages the sportsman's warehouse up there. And so he's got a bunch of good contacts, and so we're going to go up there and go do the haul road and go put in on a nice. river system and then and then pull out and then have a little motorbike, a little trail bike that we run back up to the truck. But um, So we're just doing an inexpensive live out of the truck live out of the raft um gonna fish for arctic char and hunt caribou and so um yeah we're just looking forward to it. it's gonna be a good ch- trip and on the cheap so that's awesome when are you going up um so i leave here in a couple weeks august 4th nice dude nice so you're gonna be up there during the long days and that's gonna that's gonna be a fun hunt dude that's gonna be really fun i'm jealous yeah i'm going up there i'm going up there a month later and i'm jealous <laughs> <laughs> well yeah you're uh, you're gonna have an epic trip up there but you're right the long days i forgot about that so uh i probably won't run out of much daylight up there not in august not you're you're not gonna be running out of daylight you're just gonna be running out of a battery to to operate off from really <laughs> that was the hardest thing about you going to bed at midnight up there and the sun's up by four o'clock and it's never really down so it's hard to force yourself to go to sleep oh man so you're just burning the candle at both ends going for oh, yeah. it just so tired yeah. yeah you just kind of have to make yourself sleep in a couple times or go to bed early at one point but it's hard i always i'd rather push myself really really late instead of waking up super super early so we were waking up about six o'clock in the morning instead of four when the sun was up and getting stuff ready and going hunting and then going to bed at like midnight when it was kind of (laughs) dark 
Well, and I have such a tough time going to bed now, too, with, like, all the night shots that I'm trying to get. There's always so many cool night shots with the camera and the northern lights up there. And so, you know, I, I'd stay up super late. Everybody would be in bed, and I'd be up till 2 in the morning just shooting pictures and shooting video of different things. Um, so it's tough to go to bed up there, too, because there's so many cool things to shoot at night. That's that's going to be my problem on this moose hunt. If we see the northern lights, I'm probably not sleeping. I'm going to be uh, – that for sure the first couple nights I see those things, I'm going to be up taking pictures until they're down. I can guarantee you that because we didn't get to see them on the last one because they didn't get dark enough. Oh, gotcha. Okay, so it may not get dark enough in August then. Yeah, you're going to be a little bit further north than what we were depending on how far north on the haul road you go. Yep. But it didn't get dark enough for us to even see them. Okay. Yeah, so they, that they, made it easier to sleep. They went off when we were there, like, but we only got a couple nights of them because of the cloud cover, you know. And so yep. there was only a couple nights that were clearing up. But man, we had one night. Oh God, did they go off? Like I've just never seen. And I've seen the northern lights, and I've seen pictures. But me and my buddy Chase stayed up, and we were also with Chase's dad, Rob, and he really wanted to see the northern lights, and he missed them the night before because he went to bed. And so we kept getting him to stay up and said, "Oh, they're gonna happen. They're gonna happen." And finally, he went to bed, you know, and see the light go off in the tent and then the northern lights just went off and i couldn't stop laughing with chase because his dad had gone to bed and he didn't get to see him but it was uh they went off and it felt like the aliens were coming to take you i mean at times it was spinning around you and vortexing down and like it was the biggest trippiest thing i've ever seen in my entire life so we stayed up almost the entire night just watching the northern lights go off above us it was amazing I tell you what, if I can have a night like that, it will make this trip totally worth it. I wouldn't even care about the animals or the hunting, honestly. That If I can just stay up all night taking pictures or something like that, I'm done. I I was so jealous of Trevin and Dustin when they went to Greenland this year and filmed his muskox hunt. Not so much for the muskox hunt, but they were in the northern lights every single night taking pictures. And that would just – to me, that's awesome. I haven't seen them in 15 years. So definitely hasn't seen since I've been into photography. So it would be cool to get some good pictures and some cool video of it. Oh, you will wear out memory cards on your camera as much as you love to shoot pictures and video. Yeah, no, I I hope you get a couple good nights of it for sure. I hope so too, man. I hope so too. It'll be like that morning where you were glassing and the sun was just going off. I was like, yeah, this is cool. You find a buck, so I'm going to sit here and just film and take as many pictures as possible. <laughs> oh, it's so cool. Like that video turned out so good. So I can't wait for him to edit that thing together and put it out. I think it's coming out here soon. The, um, the elk video came out this week. I saw that it was just on the Outdoor Channel. So super stoked. That was kind of my debut on the Outdoor Channel or whatever. But I can't wait for the Muley one to come out just because we had such epic backdrop everywhere and being a high country hunt and being able to capture that whole thing and and uh so i'm really excited for that one to come out you and me both man i'll have to go watch my dvr after this because i started recording it make sure i got that elk hunt and that deer hunt when it comes through so i'll go watch that elk hunt after we get done with this and check it out yeah, I'm happy with the way so, it came out. Yeah, I think it came out good, but really excited for our backcountry hunt. They say just everywhere you – in that high country, it's just such a cool experience, and you're you're living out of your backpack. Everywhere you look is like a painting up there. You know, we had some wild storms that came through and saw some good velvet bucks. So I just think that one's going to tell a really good story, so I'm excited for that I, one. I, I'm hoping it is too, man. I'm always nervous when one of the shows that I film comes out, and I'm like, I don't know. I don't know how to re- that. That's probably the most nervous I get when I was when I'm watching something that I have that I filmed and I haven't seen yet, or when my show uh, when my film last year in full draw was debuting and I was in the theater watching everybody else. 
I don't think I took a breath for 12 minutes. I was so nervous. <laughs> Good. I'm glad I'm not the only one. <laughs> oh, oh, man. I, I was so nervous watching that, and I'm going to be the exact same way when I'm watching uh, when I'm watching your episode that, that we hunted together on because, yeah, it's hard to take a bad picture up there, and it's hard to take bad video. So I'm hoping I hoping I didn't screw it up. <laughs> oh, not at all, dude. I think we laid down some awesome footage. No, I can't wait for it to come out. And then – um. Well, and, I, and I've got like a bunch of shots from scouting too of a bunch of bucks through the scope and things. So I think they're going to put together a really cool film for us. So yeah, no, I can't wait to see it. You and me both, man. Yeah. And you and me both. Yeah, that, that goat hunt you did that you're talking about sitting in the theater watching, man, that one sure turned out cool. Oh, thanks, dude. I'm I'm going to save that. I was going to release it, but it's in actually a French bow hunting film festival right now. And so when it gets out of that, I got two or three months before the Badlands. I'm going to save it and put that in the Badlands Film Festival. And then come January, I'm going to release that and try and do a push online with that. And I think I'm trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do. I'm getting all these videos and I have like no content area to know where to share the content except for YouTube. And I'm kind of wanting to look for something different. I've talked to the guy that runs uh, the hunting film tour. He's starting to put some stuff together for Netflix. So hopefully we can make something happen there. And I've talked to, uh, a guy from uh, it's called readyman.com about doing some hunting stuff on there and we're supposed to be putting some some stuff up on there which is subscription based so i don't know i'm getting torn in some different directions on what i want to do with my stuff now that i have a bunch of films that are just sitting there and nowhere to put them man how cool yeah that's amazing starting to talk over some different options anyway any uh any anyways but god um you just have some awesome footage and films that you put together the goat hunt and i can't wait to to see some of your new stuff out that caribou hunt that you showed me not too long ago was so awesome um just such a good job of putting everything together thanks man i appreciate it it actually just aired at the uh the alpha bow hunting championship here in denver a couple weeks ago and i had to leave and go to work so i didn't get to sit there and watch it so i didn't have that experience of sitting there and being super nervous i i was bummed i was missing it at the same time i was happy i was going to work so i didn't have to sit there and not breathe for 12 minutes again (laughs) (laughs) oh no that's horrible you weren't able to stay i guess uh work called but um man oh man yeah isn't that what sick days are for I, you know what? I almost did it. I almost pulled in, but it was uh, two days before the 4th of July, and we had to go do a standby. My station was doing a standby for a fireworks show. So I had a guy work half the day for me, and I just need to save my days and my sick time for hunting season, man. Yeah, you got <laughs> that's, so much- that's what it came down to is I need to save my time for, for my hunting season. Okay, that makes sense to me then. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, you got a bunch of cool things in the works. So this um you got something in the French festival, huh? French bow hunting festival or Yeah, this guy hit me up and he was like, Hey, uh, I saw that you had this film in the full draw. Do you want to send it to me? And yeah, he put it in the uh the French bow hunting film festival or the French hunting film festival, French bow hunting film festival and it they actually get a theater in France somewhere and they show all these hunting films and everybody votes and I'm really hoping I win that one strictly because they're giving away a chamois hunt if you win if you have the best film this year. Oh, so wow. it would be cool to have an all expenses paid chamois hunt over in France. If, I would say. So it, it would be really cool if I got just somehow super lucky but I think last year Donnie Vincent had a film in it. Um, I want to say Matzinger had a film in it. Trevin had The Rock in it. So there's a bunch of big names. And so just to be contacted for him about it was really cool to me because there's all these really cool big names. And 
it was fun. I had to go through and type up everything word for word so they could translate it and put in subtitles. And it's kind of a cool, different little thing that I've never done before. I'd say that's wild. Um, and, and then you said the Badlands Festival, and then you said um, you were just in that uh, that shoot, and you took first place where they uh, debuted your film in there too, huh? Yeah, that was a uh, so that was the nationals that I was able to take. Get, I I tell you what, man, I feel like I got lucky and took first. The because uh, the two weeks before I was at just one of the regular regional shoots, qualifying shoots, and I didn't even place. I shot so bad, so it was it was cool to step back and look at it differently. Because what they have you doing is you're running and shooting, running and shooting, running and shooting, and you have no time to take a breath, no time to relax. It's all about fast shooting under pressure, and going on to the next one and you know you you're wearing a 25 pound backpack dragging a sled with some weight in it and stuff and making these shots and so it was cool it's a way to add some different pressure to yourself and it's the closest thing i think i've ever simulated to buck fever i've done a lot of the train to hunt events and those were great those were fun but i would always walk the last 10 yards before i shot a target and so i was catching my breath getting up there to shoot and in this it was completely different because i wasn't able it was only a 10 yard run and I was spiking my heart rate and then taking that shot with this super spiked heart rate. It was fun, man. It's a blast. Man, and you, so you took first in nationals. What's the, what is it called again? It's called the Alpha Bow Hunting Challenge. Alpha Bow Hunting Challenge. And how long has that been out? Uh, this was the first year they did the, um, I think this might be the first year he was doing it that Phil did it. He might have done a small one. Yeah, he did a small one last year, if I, if my memory's correct. And then this year is the first year he did three qualifiers and then the national event. Man, congratulations. How awesome is that? Oh, thanks, man. It was fun. It was There were some really good guys that I shot against, some great guys that I did train to hunt with that just kill me at train to hunt. And so it was fun just to be competing with them. Oh, good for you. Yeah, that is so awesome. Um, there is no better way to simulate buck fever than that spiked heart rate shooting, is there? That's what I do you know, here at my house, and then especially with pressure with people watching and oh, people competition. Oh, watching, I think and, is what got me. Yeah, and when you want to do good, that's, that's part of the problem is you're putting all that pressure on yourself, but that spiked heart rate does so much for your shooting. You know, if you can go – do a sprint or you know even even doing push-ups because you you know you're also getting that arm fatigue but just spiking that heart rate your your pin settles way different than it does oh. when you're calm and then your mind is telling you you got to shoot fast so you can go on to the next one you got to shoot fast and it's the same thing as when you have when you're drawn on a bull elk or a deer you got that little voice in the back of your head saying you got to shoot you got to shoot before they leave before they blow out you got to shoot even if it could be the most calm animal ever that doesn't know you're there i always have that voice in the back of my head you got to shoot you got to shoot you got to shoot you got to shoot telling me to punch that trigger and i have to fight through punching that trigger settling the pin where i want it telling it where i want to go and squeezing that shot off in the right way and so it's it, it is, like I said, the closest thing I have to simulating buck fever. It's such a great event. I, I can't wait for next year. Yeah, that's so well articulated because you're exactly right. That's exactly what happens on an animal is you're fighting your mind that wants you to punch that trigger as soon as that pin hits. But you got to sit there and execute on your shot. Um, how cool. What a good training tool. Oh, man, I tell you, what, I was more calm on the last bull elk I shot than the first event, the first round of that event I did <laughs> because of just the way that it does it. So, yeah, it's great. Huh, and the bow was shooting, obviously, huh? Oh, man, I just got that new Hoyt uh, Carbon Defiant a couple weeks earlier, and, yeah, that thing was – it's it's money. It is money. Oh, right on, man. Good I, It's you. shooting a little bit slower than what my Spider Carbon was, and I'm shooting a 500-grain arrow. 
So I just had Steve over at Victory send me some 350s instead of 300s to try and lighten it up just a little bit so that I can get a little bit more speed out of it. Yeah, it's it's just shooting like just bullet holes. Oh man, well, and it's a fine line trying to find the right weight arrow, and I guess it's. You know, it's whatever animal you're hunting, but I'm the same way where if I go to a 500-grain arrow, I feel like my arrow's a little bit slower than I want it. Even though you're getting more kinetic energy and more penetration, like I feel like you have more of a, a chance for that animal to get out of the way of your arrow. Um, you, you know, and also you're, you're gapping as far as, you know, if you're off by a yard out there at 60 yards, you could miss that animal or hit low to where, you know, you just scrape them on the bottom. And so it is a fine line trying to find that perfect arrow weight. And I tend to like it like around around 450 is about perfect for me is where i really like them at yeah i'm hoping that i can get this these new 350s down to about 430 to 450 range they uh victory makes a tip an insert that's actually 95 grains and then you put your 90 your 100 grain broadhead on it so you have an insane front of center i think that's part of the reason why my arrows are nose diving just a little much i it's a lot of weight up front but it's a great front of center so i'm going to back it off to a 55 grain insert on these new ones and then be running the 100 grain broadhead so i got 150 up front with a little bit lighter so i'm hoping i can get a little bit more speed and a little bit more a uh, little bit more less pin gap because i didn't realize how much i relied on those faster arrows i was shooting 300 feet per second before when you drop it down to 256 it's kind of a uh, kind of a kick in the teeth <laughs> yeah you got to find some middle ground in there well and, and everybody's draw length is different and arrow weight is different and and you just got to find the setup that's right for you but uh sounds like a good move to make where you can pick up just a little bit of speed and like you say find a happy medium Exactly. And I'm always tinkering with stuff. Back when I was shooting in my tournament days, I wouldn't leave my bow the same for about two weeks. I was always tinkering with something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, I love messing. Changed. Yeah, I'm, I love messing with stuff too. I, I kind of find my setup and then um, make sure I'm shooting good groups with it. And then I kind of go into more challenging practice, elevated heart rates, a lot of kneeling, sitting, long distance, and, and, and put like a high degree of difficulty on my shots because I know my bow's shooting. And then it's just a matter of me. I, I'll shoot off one leg or step on my other foot or just all these awkward positions, shooting downhill angles. You know, once I get that bow dialed where I want it, then I put, you know, the challenging shots in front of me and try to work into it that way, getting ready for season. And that's why you can make the hard shots, man. That's that's when when the chips are down. That's why you can perform. Oh, it's such an asset to have, um, you know, just like you always work on your, on your shooting. That's like me. I'm just always working to get better and being able to execute better, you know, be inside my own head and make sure that I'm not punching on things. But, um, yeah, it, it just pays, pays huge dividends when you're on those tough hunts and you do get a chance at an animal to execute a shot. Um, you know, that's where the hard work pays off for sure. Exactly, man. Exactly. Yep. Well, man, you got a bunch of cool stuff coming up, a bunch of things to look forward to. I can't wait to hear from you this season and, and start getting – I'm going to get pretty excited if I get a text message with a picture from you. Oh, dude, yeah, same, same here, man, same here. I'm hoping I get something here. When I'm back from uh, from Hawaii, I'm hoping I got something on my phone from you up in uh, up in Alaska. Yeah, no doubt. Well, what a cool trip to Hawaii. And then you were saying uh, your mother-in-law has a good mule deer tag. You got any uh, – you could probably got your elk tag there in Colorado this year? <laughs> 
I yeah, I got my elk tag. I draw it almost every year. So I think if we stay the full time in Alaska this year, I'll get home with four days to hunt. So it's going to be pushing it. And I got a buddy from uh, out in California that might be coming out for those last four days just to hang out and hunt. So I'll probably be doing what I did last year and focusing more and helping my buddies get an elk instead of me. But it's still a good time. Oh, it is. And it's it's what makes the world go round. And I'm enjoying it more and more, like just uh, making connections with different friends and having them out and, and going and hunting and having a good time. I mean, that's what hunting's all about. And you, you get to test yourself, too, and you have some hunts you're going on. But, um, you know, just spending that quality time with friends and making those connections. And a guy from California to come out and elk hunt, that's pretty cool to, to show him good elk hunt. And you got some good spots there in Colorado. Yeah, I'm hoping I don't ruin them by showing them to many of my buddies, but I got my buddy Adam that he was up with me last year. He's going to be with me this year, and he's actually going to be hunting a little bit when I'm in Alaska. And then if Cliff can come out, we'll hopefully we can get the bull down in those couple days and just pass it on. Yeah, and so your elk spot, like I remember us talking about it. It's been a year or so, but it sounds like you go back and you're going through a bunch of downfall timber. Like it's amazing what – what makes a good elk spot and sometimes just like a challenging place to get to and downfall timber is a great deterrent for hunters isn't it oh man i hate it and i hate hiking through it but when i get back there it is so nice to not have anybody else even during rifle season when that parking lot was packed to the brim two years ago when i took adam in then we got back there and we didn't see another hunter back there except for one guy was back there and then I looked down and I'm like, dude, how are you going to get elk out of here? He's like, I don't know. And he just left. <laughs> so it's like it, it clicked in his mind like, hey, I'm back here by myself with nothing. I'm looking at these two guys that are half my age that are worried about getting an elk out. It kind of clicked with him and he left. So <laughs> oh, perfect. And then Adam ended up shooting one at 8 o'clock opening morning back there. So it's it's totally worth it. Yeah. Well, and, um, some years you have access to horses. Do you guys get horses for that one or you guys pack that oh, one yeah. out the template? Yeah, we, no, that one we packed it out all at once. Um, we had just packed in. We had five days worth of food and camp with us. And I told Adam I didn't want to come back. So we put everything on half of the elk on his back in camp and half of it on mine. And we started going. And about 30 yards later, Adam looked at me and said, I can't do this. <laughs> I was like, all right, well, give me one of the quarters. So I took another quarter, and that about killed me. So we split it up, got it to the top of the hill, shuttled back for the other half, and then I packed out three quarters of a bull elk and uh, and camp, and Adam packed out the rest. It oh. was a brutal, nasty, horrible hike. We hiked from about 10 o'clock in the morning till midnight. Oh, that is brutal. <laughs> for a hike that – and it's a hike that normally I can knock out in three hours, three to four hours. Oh, man. Those elk are so heavy, aren't they? And oh, it was, it was you, horrible. When you try to do them in one trip. Oh, like I I swear I'm doing two trips, but every year you get faced with that, and I guess that's why you train so hard and got strong legs. You take them out in one trip, but I've got to start making multiple trips for those I, things. But two guys, one bull, man, that is a load and camp. Yeah, I thought I was stupid when I did two guys with a cow in camp once and then that bull luckily he was a younger bull it was only a three-year-old bull instead of like a four or five-year-old so he wasn't a huge bull but he wasn't a baby <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah only seven eight hundred pounds it's fine oh man i we boned it out and we didn't take the cape we just skull capped it and it's still yeah it was heavy yeah that's the way i do those bulls too yep bone them out there's don't no, take the cape. no way to make it no way to make them lighter. You got you know, it, it, the meat's so good you can't leave anything. I, I was 
take a neck meat. I yeah. <laughs> I know it's just the way it is. It feeds your family for the entire winter. You so it it is. It's um you get it out and you appreciate it so much every steak you cook up because you think of all those miles you had to take that thing out of country and and yeah I've had to do I've had to do quite a few bowls solo too and those have been really tough on me and I usually break those into three trips but you know you kill one five miles back in you know not only do you got five out five back in five out five back in so by the time you get all said and done you know you've done 25 30 miles you know half of which with with extreme stupid high amounts of weight heavy. on you yeah so. stupid heavy yeah it totally totally makes it worthwhile but man i tell you what i wouldn't trade it for anything my my son turns three next week and he already asked me when we we're eating something he's like what is this and i'm like oh this is elk this is deer this is mountain lion and he's like who shot it he's all right so we'll get if every once in a while we go to mcdonald's and he gets a chicken nugget the other day he's like who shot the chicken so my <laughs> my three-year-old's already thinking about where his food's coming from and he knows that it comes from something more than i'd say most 30 year olds out there man how cool like um and that's you, you're raising them right and that's what we're all trying to do with our kids is just trying to make them aware of where their food comes from and and take responsibility for it and try to introduce them into the outdoors and they're you know i don't think there's a, a person around in america or the world that could come on one of these hunts and experience what we experience and not have fun like it it's i just, completely agree man it, it, I completely agree. You give me anybody uh, – Donnie Vincent said you give me anybody from PETA and you bring them out here. I might not make them a hunter, but I'm going to make them understand what we're doing, and they're not going to hate it. And I completely I, – I, I believe that wholeheartedly with what I do. I've seen you hunt and the way you hunt. I can just bring any of them out there, and I, I'll throw out the open invitation to anybody. Come with me. I'll show you what we do. And you're, you might not pick up a rifle and shoot something. But you're probably not going to hate me afterwards for it. I can tell you that. Yeah, you're going to have fun, and you're going to know the hard work that goes into it. And you also – like it's easy to sit back and see guys get things with the rifle and maybe even watch it on TV and go, oh, they're, they're, it's easier. They're, they're doing it. But you go out there, and you take on the challenge that we take on on each one of these hunts and, and on public land and self-guided. Like, like it is the ultimate challenge. That's what draws us all to it is it's so difficult. And then you start putting you know, you know all these – these tougher like you try to kill one with a bow and like your buddy's gonna go kill one with a traditional bow try to kill a moose like you put all these challenges on you that that up the degree of difficulty to to make it even tougher yet but then it just means so much more when you are successful but yeah there isn't a person out there that wouldn't have fun and and appreciate what we're doing i i wholeheartedly believe that too yes sir Yep. So um, there's a ton of good organizations out there right now that are helping with us hunters, and and I think it's super important, like our public lands, and it it's been a big issue here lately. And I I really like that uh, backcountry hunters and anglers. I belong to their organization, but they do a really good job uh, of keeping me informed and in the loop of what's going on, you know, on a higher level. And, and they come from. You know, they're they're cut from the same cloth as us guys, you know, and so I think they do a great job along with other organizations, but I've really been pumped on them lately. Dude, I completely agree. I've listened to a few podcasts with Land. I don't know if he's the VP or the CEO or if he just runs backcountry hunters and anglers, but that is such a great organization. I've heard him a couple of times with Steve Ranella and talk about it, and it is – yeah, I got a ton of information from them and listening to him and Steve talk about stuff. Oh, they're so intelligent. It sounds like you got a kid up. 
Uh, my wife actually is home now, so I don't have to worry about him getting up. <laughs> <laughs> Good deal. You my got... three-year-old's growing so fast. I put him in his tennis shoes this morning, and his poor little toes were all balled up. I was like, well, I guess you're not wearing shoes right now. I had to find some other ones for him. So my wife took them out, and he, we got a Nike outlet by our house and got him some cheap $20 tennis shoes or something, I'm sure. So okay, <laughs> she they, just got home. They start growing out of those things so fast. I know I bought my daughter basketball shoes for last year. And then, you know, we're just coming into the new season and she can't even fit in them anymore, you know, which is which is just crazy. Yeah. So I, I bet your kids are growing out of their stuff fast. I don't think I've allowed my wife to buy my kids any shoes that aren't on sale. And that's, that's the reason right there. Because they're one, they don't care what they look like right now anyway, and two, they're going to grow out of them in like a couple of weeks. So yeah. what's well, the point? <laughs> at least you got another one coming up, so you, I bet you have some good hand-me-downs ready for him. Well, no, I wouldn't call him good because Easton trashes them, man. He is uh, <laughs> he is wild. My goal with my kids is to raise them uh, – what's a good way of putting it? To raise them wild but respect others, if that makes sense. I want him to be able to go out and do everything he wants to do, and as long as he respects others while he's doing it, that's all I could care about. Now that's a cool way to look at it. Yeah, you're just shaping these and little... And so he's, uh, he's, de- he's got the wild part down. I don't know how to respect others yet, but he's, he's got the wild part. I'm halfway there. He's got the wild part down. He's my little terrorist. Yeah, well, it's so wild. You're just shaping little people all the way from the start up to, you know, even where my daughters are at. And now I can really sit them down and engage in these conversations where we talk about things and they ask questions. And, and uh, you're, you're just shaping productive members of society and little human beings. It's, it's such a cool experience being a being a parent and being a dad that's exactly what it is you're shaping them and it's it's a huge reflection on you so i'm just hoping i don't screw it up oh me too (laughs) it's like one of the same thing as a tough hunt you're always evolving on the fly you know you're always you're always trying to come up with a solution for the time being and your your thought process changes as you get older and you experience more and you you see the way they react to different things like you kind of you kind of grow and 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 evolve you know your parenting as you go as well and and your theories on things it's kind of wild Oh, I agree, man. I agree completely. Yeah. I, my biggest thing is evolving is discipline. My kid could care less if he gets a spanking, whereas a kid with me, I guess I was the same way, but I don't know. The discipline thing is hard for me. <laughs> oh, man, it is. It's Constant, tough. Constantly evolving, find something that actually sinks in with him. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yep, for sure. Yep, evolving on the fly. Well, um, man, sounds like your kids are active around there. Lane, I sure appreciate it. I really appreciate you being my first guest, and then I really appreciate you coming back and, and talking hey. to me about some of the hunts you got going on. Hey, I'm just uh, – I'm definitely humbled to have you uh, invite me back, man. You've had some great guests. Yours is definitely one of the only podcasts that I download constantly that I'm subscribed to. So very, very humbled and glad to be here, man. All right, man. Well, I appreciate it. Let's keep in touch. And uh, next time you got some film coming out, make sure to let me know. I want to see it. For sure, man. For sure. I'll send it to you first. All right. Sounds like a plan. Thanks, Lane. All right. Talk to you later. All right, guys. That's a wrap. Uh, really fun conversation with Lane. He's got a bunch of really cool hunts coming up. And so I'm just going to keep in contact with him and uh, see how he does this season. Uh, I really want to have him film for me again. He wasn't able to do my early season film job uh, this year, so hoping I can add maybe a late season hunt and get him in on some filming. He's just such a good videographer. I just learned so much when he goes with me, just about different shots and how to put everything together and and, uh, just a wealth of knowledge and and a really good hunter. So I wish him the the best of luck this season, and I know he's going for his big 
Alaskan moose, so I, I really hope he's successful on that. I know he's been planning and plotting for a long time now, so um, I'm sure it's going to be a fun trip. Uh, so, so really fun with him. Sitka is the sponsor for today's show. Again, just building the best gear out there. Just so impressed with how they've evolved their gear over the years, their design and their, their camo pattern and, and, and their function of their gear. Um, just so good right now. Um, I'm just so impressed. So, uh, make sure to check out Sitka. And then over there at Eastman's, we're just working away on the magazine. And make sure if you're not a subscriber that, that you check it out and, and see what we're putting out there. Um, you can you can get that $20 for both magazines uh, subscription on Eastman's Elevate or Eastman's Elevated, Eastman's Hunting Journal website. And, and then type in the code Elevated617 and, and uh, that discount will come up. And uh, with that, uh, I'm off to Alaska flying out today. So I've got this all loaded up for when I'm gone. And so uh, by the time you guys hear this, uh, my wife will load it up for me. And uh, I'll be chasing big caribou, hopefully. So uh, they're going to be in full velvet, which make them, makes them look heavier. And um, it's just a, a great public land hunt. I just can't wait to go get this thing started. And there's going to be so much light. It's... Um, the sun the sunset to sunrise there's a 5 hour difference so 5 hours but you got to think an hour of that is the sun actually going down where it's still light and an hour of that is where the sun's coming up where it's light so really only like 3 hours of darkness so you talk about long hunting days uh, I know at some point I'm just going to crash up there because, you know, you look at your watch and it'll be 1130 and it's still light out, you know, and you'll, you've been going hard for 16 hours or something. So it's going to be crazy fun and um, uh, a challenge. And, and I'm sure there's going to be bugs up there. You know, we've got some thermocells and head nets and whatever we need up there, but uh, it's going to be an adventure, and, and that's what I live for is adventure, and, and uh, so this is going to be a lot of fun. So I can't wait. I'm going to record a podcast up there with my buddy Chase, um, kind of recapping the whole hunt, or I don't know if we'll do like a 10-15 minute segment every night. Uh, and just kind of talk about what happened during the day, but um, should be fun and, and should be able to put together some good recordings up there. So excited to share that with you guys. And so hope you guys got some good hunts coming up and, and uh, you're all ready for season. Hope that bow's shooting straight. And um, I just, um, you guys are the, the guys I want to see succeed, the guys that are um, listening to the podcast and, and not just listening to the podcast, but it's just like, to me, it's the guys that are working hard to be successful out west. You know, you're you're gathering all this information from podcasts, from the magazine, um, anywhere you can to to make yourself better in the in the western woods. And so, uh, you know, I just wish you guys the best and want to see you succeed. And and uh, hope some of these tips and tactics help you out along the way. And and as always, guys, I I just really support the. Uh, really appreciate the support, um, you know, of the podcast and the iTunes reviews and the um, social media accounts. You guys following those, it it just really helps me out and brings weight to what we're doing and 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 just shows that that we have an an audience that that likes this podcast and and likes the information that we're putting out. And so it's kind of a a way to show Eastman's that I'm that I'm doing okay at this or doing a good job. So I just can't tell you how much I appreciate the support. Uh, telling your buddies about the podcast, it, it just goes uh, so far and a long ways for me, and, and I'm just so humbled at, at all the support I've gotten. So thanks a bunch to you guys that, that are making this thing go. Um, with that, uh, I better wrap this thing up and, and uh, get everything ready to upload, and 
um, throw the bags in the truck and go jump on a plane. So uh, just so excited. And uh, so hopefully you guys got some good adventures coming up and and I'll check in with you guys when I get back.